Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We are so glad you were able to join us today as we begin a new series called Portraits of People Who Pray. In this short series, Pastor Roy will be looking at different prayers found in the Bible and what we can learn from them. Today, we will be looking at the prayer of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. It is great to be in God's house with His people, praising and worshiping and honoring our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we are starting a new series. I intend to bring about six messages. And the title of this series is Portraits of People Who Pray. And today we're going to be focusing on a man named Elijah, a man with a passion. So if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18, while you're opening there, I'm reminded of the story of the pastor who was invited over for dinner. He was asked to lead in prayer for the meal. After the brief prayer, Junior said approvingly, you don't pray so long when you're hungry, do you? (laughs) Sunday school teacher was asked a little girl if she said her prayers every night, and she said, no, not every night, declared the child, because sometimes I don't want anything. And we're probably guilty of the same thing, that we only come when we want something Right before I read this scripture this morning, I want you to imagine that you are at the end of your life. You're welcomed into the presence of Jesus who has saved you by his grace. In the midst of all the wonderful things we will experience, we are ushered into our own media room. As you enter your personal media room, you're told that you get to sit on a cozy couch with comfortable pillows eating as much popcorn and candy as you want, without the calories, of course, and that you're going to watch a video of your life. The video is a compilation of all the moments in your life when you were fully present, all the moments when you weren't numbed out or distracted by the media technology of TV, Internet, cell phone, etc., And all the times you were totally engaged with others are fully attentive to God. Now imagine this video playing in your personal media room and ask yourself these questions. How long is your video? How many scenes will depict you relishing life to the fullest, not numb or distracted, fully enjoying and loving the people around you? And as you think about your life's video... How many scenes will show you completely ready to hear what Jesus is trying to say to you? As we think about Elijah today, a man who was given an incredible task, because the truth of the matter is he was part of the northern kingdom. Ten tribes in the northern kingdom had split off after Solomon died. There were 19 kings in the northern kingdom. 
The kingdom had slipped into great deterioration, morally, politically, in every way. And every one of those 19 kings were bad kings. Actually, Omri, who was Ahab's father, they said was a very bad king. Ahab, who we'll read about, was the worst king. He reigned for 22 years, and he was a wicked, evil man. And so the country has gone into decline. They've gone into Baal, the worship of Baal, a false god. And they are praying and bowing and kneeling and worshiping and sacrificing at a false god. I think about our own country. What are people worshiping today? Where is the heart of America? We're in moral, political, and spiritual decline. Churches are not growing, usually they're in decline. People are more ignorant about the Word of God than ever before. And God is looking for some men and women who will stand up and be a voice for righteousness. And bring people back to the worship of God. And that's what Elijah was called to do. He was called to bring his people, the Israelites, God's chosen people, back to himself. Where they would begin to bow before, worship, sacrifice, and serve the living God. They had gotten so far off track that if we were to see a video of their lives, there would be a lot of tears. And I wonder about our own lives when we think about our own time before God in prayer. Are we really desperate for God to do something in our day, in our community, in our nation? Are we desperate for God to do something to bring us back to himself? Let me just read these verses out of 1 Kings chapter 16. I don't have these on the PowerPoint, but I want to read these to you. And I want you to listen. In 1 Kings 16, verses 30 to 34. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. How would you like to have that behind your name? (laughs) He's the king of evil. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. Now listen to this carefully. When he says he laid the foundation with Abiram, his firstborn, he is not talking about that Abiram built the foundation. He's saying Abiram was sacrificed and he was built on top of his body. And with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates. He set the gate up on his other son in sacrifice to a false god. 
according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Ahab married Jezebel. She was characterized as bossy, arrogant, and domineering. She was a bitter and vindictive woman. She loved throwing herself around. One commentator described her as determined, devilish, a demon incarnate. She was so into the devotion to worship Baal and this false god, and she wanted everyone else to follow suit. And they impacted the Israelites to begin to worship false gods. Elijah steps on the scene to bring people back to himself, back to God, because that's how far away they had gotten. And I think about our own nation. Sunday is not sacred anymore. It's the Lord's Day, but there are so many other things people can be doing on Sunday that worship is just an add-on. It's something else that we do and we begin to bow at the altar of sports that happen on Sunday and take people out of church from worshiping the living God. My question is not, not what they're doing, but where is their heart? Where is the heart of people when it comes to Sunday morning and worshiping and bowing at the altar of the living God and not something other than God? That's where Elijah was at, 850 false prophets. And he said, I am going to be the one who's going to speak up and say, we've got to come back to God. We've got to worship this living God. He was passionate and zealous for the honor of God. And that's where he was. And so he faces this wicked couple. And he begins to look. Let me share with you a scripture here. Revelation 2.20, talking about Jezebel. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to do what? To practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. People say, well, that, that's outdated anymore. No, the Bible has commandments. And the people rejected the commandments of God and began to do that which was right in their own eyes, and they were far from God. Far from God. And God is calling them back. Look at Numbers 25. While Israel lived in Shittim, Shittim was the last encampment before they crossed the Jordan and began to be in the Canaan, land of Canaan, the promised land, right before they crossed over their last encampment, it says the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to who? Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. Now, if we took the time to read the rest of the account, we would find that God also sent a plague among the people that killed 24,000 people. That's double the population of Huron. Do you think God is serious about his honor? Do you think he is serious about his people worshiping and being pure and holy before God? Do you think he has changed any? 
the fierce anger of the Lord. And God has called us to worship him, to honor him, to be people of prayer. And he has called Elijah to bring them back to himself. Oh, let me go back a second, if I can. Oh, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, right up in here, it's a little bit hard to see. Actually, I'm having a little trouble seeing it myself. Here is uh, Beth Peor, and here is Shatim. And then here is the Jordan River where they crossed over, and here's Jericho. So this is where they would have crossed over. This was their last encampment uh, before they went into the promised land. Look at this verse, Numbers 31, 16. Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord, and the plague came as a result of their sin and disobedience to God. Now, the question is, what happened to the Israelites and the land before they crossed over? What was leading up to this event? Elijah had prayed that it would not rain on the earth for three and a half years. Now, you want to get the attention of people, you bring a famine and a drought. We are around here praying for rain for the farmers, are we not? I wonder if that's the right prayer request. Say, wait a minute, you're talking about my livelihood. I'm talking about mine too, because you support the church. I'm saying, are we more concerned about rain than we are the honor of God? You say, wait a minute, we can have both. Yes, we can. But what are we most desperate for? What do you pray about passionately, desperately? What do you pray about? What do I pray about? What is close to my heart? What is close to your heart? It says in James 5:16 through 18, the prayer of a righteous person does what? Has great power as it is working. Let me say that again. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I think one of the lies of the enemy is that he has tricked the church and God's people into believing that prayer doesn't really make that big a deal. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Prayer makes an incredible amount of difference. God uses it. And I want us as a church to be people of prayer. That we will seek the Lord, that we will... God said my house will be what? A house of not worship, not good sermons, not good fellowship. It will be a house of prayer. That's what God desires. He goes on to say, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He prayed that it wouldn't rain to get the attention 
back on God. Why? Because the God of Baal was a God of rain, God of weather, God of vegetation. They were trusting Baal for all their needs. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Baal is our God. He is the one that's going to bring rain. He is the one that's going to bless the crops. He is the one that's going to supply all of our needs. Can you imagine the offense that is to a holy God? When you and I say, I don't need God. I can do it myself. I'll put my trust in something else. I think about Michelangelo, the Italian painter, born in the late 15th century, painted that wonderful work of Genesis on the Sistine Chapel ceiling, painted the judgment up on the wall of the altar. Could you imagine somebody in society and history coming in and rewriting history saying, well, Michelangelo didn't really do that. Let's assign that to somebody else. And we would be enraged that somebody else would be credited for the work that he accomplished. And that's exactly what the Israelites were doing. They were crediting Baal for the work that God accomplished. Oh, what a slap in the face to a holy God. And that's where they were at. Worshiping that. Human sacrifice was common. It was a frequent practice, an effort to placate to their gods, to kill young children and bury them in the foundations of a house or a public building during construction. That's how debased they had become. Why? Because when you begin to worship an idol, you become like an idol. You become blind and deaf just like an idol. You become like the thing that you worship. If I was to read, in, in, let me just read this to you and listen carefully. In 2 Kings chapter 17, here's what it says. They would not listen and were stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols. Listen to this carefully. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. You see, we become like the thing we worship. And that's why God was so enraged. And maybe James, writing about Elijah, the man of prayer, maybe that's why James is called, nicknamed Camel Knees, because he spent so many hours in prayer and he was inspired by the life of Elijah to be a man of prayer. So we see the prayer of a righteous person has great power, so therefore the righteous person prays. Say, so what does a righteous person do? Well, the one thing that ought to character a righteous person more than anything else is not that he attends church and gives money to the church and all those things are wonderful and he witnesses and he serves in Awana and he teaches Sunday school and he help, gives rise to people. All those things are wonderful, but the righteous person is a man or woman of prayer. Passionate prayer. But we are praying and seeking the face of God because he is the only thing. He is the only one who can help us in our time of need. Only one who can help us. Secondly, a righteous person practices 
righteousness. He says in 1 John 3, 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. But what we have in our society today is we don't, we're not concerned about righteousness. We're concerned about is this right or wrong? Is this good or bad? I know it's got a few bad words in it. Should I go to that? No, it should be how can I be a righteous person before a holy God, not for my righteousness, but for the righteousness and honor and glory of God? How can I do that? That should be our goal, our desire, our passion. God, your holiness, your righteousness, your greatness, your majesty, that's what I'm concerned about the most. More than anything else. Elijah was very ordinary. I find great encouragement in that. Elijah it says, was a man with a nature like ours. He had weakness. He got tired. He even got discouraged. He was so discouraged when you get to 1 Kings chapter 19, he's like, God, let's end it. <laughs> let's just finish me off. I mean, we got this wicked woman Jezebel chasing after me. I'm done. He's just ready to call it quits. So we see the high and low, that here he is, a voice for righteousness in God, and then the other extreme, he's totally defeated. Have you ever felt that way? Boy, I have. <laughs> Many times. God, what, what's the use of praying for? I haven't seen anything change in six months with this person. But I've been praying. And so that's what the enemy wants us to believe. We've got to hang in there. We've got to continue to pray. He was a very ordinary man. He got weary. He was subject to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, just like the rest of us. <laughs> and I find great encouragement in that. He was not a super saint. He was an ordinary man that God did something extraordinary through. That's what he was, an ordinary person that God did something extraordinary through. A righteous person also prays fervently. What does he say? He prayed fervently that it might not rain. Why? Was he concerned about rain? No, he was concerned about the honor of God. That's why he prayed fervently. When you and I pray, it should be about the honor of God. that God would be glorified and honored. Elijah's obedience to God's word. This is what we see in a righteous individual. Look in 1 Kings 18. After a long time, in the third year, hadn't rained, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, the wicked king, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now that sounds simple. Until you understand the background that Ahab and his wife were killing the prophets of God. So in essence, go and present yourself to this man who wants to take your life. Now are you willing to go? <laughs> in other words, obedience is not simple. 
It is not easy. God is going to bring us to a crossroads in our personal journey, spiritual journey, where we are going to come to a crossroads and we are going to have to make a difficult decision. Am I going to follow Christ or am I going to follow the crowd? And you may be the only one that wants to follow Christ and there may be 850 people who want to follow a false god. Which way are you going to go? Because in essence, that's what happened in this story. Elijah says, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? How long are you going to waver? You've got to make a decision. Obedience to God was the priority in Elijah's life. And maybe when he prayed and the fire from heaven fell and consumed the sacrifice, it's because he lived a righteous, obedient life before God. Maybe the reason we don't see more answers is we are not living the righteous, obedient life that God would have us live. And even that is not a guarantee that God is going to answer every prayer according to my will and my wish. Because God is going to answer prayer according to his will. Just as Jesus, what did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? We studied this, the Garden, last Friday. Father, not my will, but whose? Yours be done. If we come to God with that kind of heart and that kind of spirit, and that's what Elijah came to, God, this is not about my will. This is not about my honor. This is not about me winning friends and influencing people. This is not about me being able to autograph a new book, make a movie about my life. This is about bringing your people back to worshiping the living God. That's what he was concerned about. And that's what we need to be concerned about bringing people to a place of worshiping the living God. That should be the drive and the motivating factor behind our witness, our work, our labor, our praying. Our praying is not out of guilt and obligation. It's saying, God, your name is not being honored. It's being slandered. It's being ridiculed. It's being rejected. And therefore, I come on that basis and I cry out to you, God, reestablish your honor among your people in America. That's what God needs. That's what he wants from all of us. And it will come as we cry out to him on our knees and seek him with our heart. There will be times when we can be in prayer And we arise from prayer and we go out into the world and we will be scratching our heads. We will be left wondering, what in the world is God up to? Why is he doing this to me? Why is he allowing this to happen? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The next thing we see with Elijah is his courage to speak for God. 850 false prophets, 450 false prophets, 400 other people who are worshiping false gods. And you have one prophet of God, 19 wicked kings. Nobody has stood up for God up to this point. There were still wicked kings that followed. (laughs) But nobody to this point had stood up for God and said, God, your name is being drugged through the mud. I'm going to take a stand until Elijah came on the scene. 
Elijah's speech was very direct. He was zealous for God's honor. In verse 16, look in verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Obadiah served for Ahab, told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? You're the one, it's, you're the reason it's not raining. You're the one that's caused the famine. You're the one that's caused all this trouble. He says in verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. Boy, you've got to love the fiery courage of this man of God who's willing to someone who wants to take his life and he's standing up for God. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. You are the one worshiping false gods. You are the one that brought this on yourself. He says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who was a female deity, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. There was the challenge. And people love challenge. Every once in a while, my boys like to challenge me in wrestling. What's the purpose? They want to see who's the strongest. Praise God, I still beat them. We haven't done it for a little while. Don't tell them they're not here, but the time is coming soon, I'm afraid, when they're going to be able to whip me. I remember when I challenged my wife in ping pong when we were dating. And she was actually keeping up with me, and it was, I was amazed. And um, after we played for about 15, 20 minutes, I said, well, I think I'm going to have to switch to my right hand now. <laughs> And she just stood there with her mouth hanging open. <laughs> but a challenge. Let's have a contest to see who is God. Who is greater? Who has more power? In, in essence, he's saying, let's see who really controls the sun, the moon, the rain, the vegetation, the agriculture. Let's really see who is the one who supplies our needs. Is it Baal? Is it that false God that you guys are worshiping? Or is it the living God that I worship and that you used to worship and you abandoned? Let's just, let's just have a challenge. Head to head. You pray to your God, I'll pray to mine. Talk about confidence and courage. He calls for this showdown. Why did he have such courage? Because he was a man of prayer. If you and I are going to have courage to speak the truth into our culture, we've got to be men and women of prayer. Because prayer is the one thing that will infuse courage. When I read the New Testament and I see where the, has the church, early church met together for prayer, and it says they were filled with boldness. And why do I think there's a lack of boldness today? Because there's a lack of prayer. And therefore we don't have the boldness that God wants us to have. The first commandment 
God instituted with Moses on Mount Sinai was what? You shall have no other gods before me. Think God knew what he was doing when he instituted that? (laughs) Yeah, he had a reason for instituting that. He knew they were going to be faced with worshiping false gods. In fact, God, the reason he delivered his people out of Egyptian bondage was not just so they would be free. He led them out of Egyptian bondage so they would be free to worship him and him alone. Why has God delivered me from sin, the bondage of sin? Why has he delivered you from the bondage of sin so we could be free? No, not just free, free to worship him. That's why. They were offending God by worshiping these false gods. Elijah's concern for the honor of God is the next thing we see. And what does Elijah do? He taunts them. They pray, they cry out. They're prophesying. They're slashing themselves, cutting themselves, blood going all over the place. They're screaming for hours for Baal to answer, and they get nothing. No response, no rain, no answer, nothing at all. He's like, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's sleeping. You need to wake him up a little bit. Maybe he's busy, doesn't have time to answer your prayer. Maybe he's not powerful enough to answer your prayer. And they go on and on and on. But when you look down at the verse 29, midday passed. They had been crying out for hours. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. And this was the time of the Jews to pray and sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. Now why? Was he trying to draw attention to himself? No. He was going to teach them who the living God was, and he wanted to make sure he had their attention. Come to me. It's time for you to see who the living God is. Come here to me. They came to him, and the first thing he did was what? He repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Of course it was in ruins because nobody was using it. And he takes 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes of Israel because it was never God's intention that they would be separated. You had the 10 tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south, and they were fighting and not getting along. And he puts all 12 stones down to say, God is a God of unity. And God is a God who is interested in worship and prayer, and that worship and prayer includes the altar of God. So he is reestablishing once again where his authority and where his power is coming from. He's recognizing God. In bringing the people in that way. And then when he prays, how does he pray? Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Not Jacob. Israel. (laughs) Israel, you need to wake up. This is your God. This is the God that you have abandoned. This is the God that you have forsaken his commands. This is him. 
Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Now, here's the thing. He's praying to God, but he's also praying as a testimony to the people. I think when we pray in public, it's, it, we need to realize we're talking to God, but we're also praying as a testimony to the people around us. We are talking to the living God. And he was willing to do that and call attention to the Lord that people would know that there is a God in Israel, and it's not Baal. It's a living God. Elijah's prayer was to make God known. He goes on in verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Who's turning the hearts back? Elijah? No. God, only you can do that. You have to turn these people back. I'll do my part. You've got to turn these people back to yourself. And prior to that prayer, he'd ask them to go get four jars of water. Now remember, there was a drought. <laughs> water is hard to come by. And he wanted that sacrifice doused with water, water around the trench, so that they would have no doubt, no doubt who the living God was. And fire fell. What answer happened? Look in verse 38. The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And what did Elijah do? Notice the next verse. Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. God was highly offended. And if we want to take time to flip over to the New Testament, I'll just mention it. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, God talks about if anyone offends one of his children... It would be better that a millstone was hung about his neck and he was cast into the sea than that anyone would offend a child of God. God took personal offense when we offend a child of God. And we offend the living God. I found this to be an interesting quote from or actually, there's a couple pictures here of uh, Elijah. This is uh, from our trip to Israel. They have a statue there with Israel, or I mean uh, Elijah with a sword in his hand. And this is up on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is not one mountain. It's a whole range of mountains. So you can kind of get a visual of where he would have been. We don't know the exact location, but there's a whole mountain range there, and he would have been on one of those mountains where this event transpired. Here's the, the view from up on top of the range of Mount Carmel. Just so you can kind of see what it looks like. Beautiful, green, fertile. Jim Cimbala, who wrote Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, made a comment thought I had it on here. Yes, I do. 
or actually he didn't make the comment. He had a pastor visiting from Australia or New Zealand, and here's what he said. He got up in front of his church, and he said, you can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular a pastor or evangelist is by who comes on Sunday night, but you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. Just a thought. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who preached a message over 100 years ago, said this, The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer a graceometer, and from it we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. You know what my concern is? My concern is that we will raise a generation of children who will grow up in church and never experience a corporate church prayer meeting. And that would be a tragedy. I grew up attending corporate prayer meeting in church because it was important. We've become so busy now that every other night of the week we run around and we do all this stuff to the degradation of the church, deterioration of the church. We are living, if you haven't read your newspaper recently or turned on the news, we are in the most desperate time of our culture in the history of our country. Absolute worst. And so the question is, not to put a guilt trip on people, but to inspire us and encourage us to be men and women of prayer. Corporate prayer, where we come together and we are desperate, crying out to God, not looking around seeing who else is here. But God, we, we need to meet with you. We need a touch. We need a revival. We need a spiritual awakening to our land. That's when God moved in America. I shared with you back in the fall what happened when God brought spiritual awakening. There was a crying out to God like never before. And that's what we need again. Or it will not happen. And if the church doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. Let's stand for a word of prayer. As you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, I have a question. Do your prayers have any oomph to them? Are they passionate? Do you practice righteousness in all areas of your life? Your morality, your honesty, your language? Your thought life, your friendships, your private life? Are you using the fact that you are ordinary as an excuse from developing a deeper walk with Christ? What about my obedience to God? Has God convicted me about an area that is not surrendered to Him? Am I guilty of breaking any of God's commands? to the point where I am grieved?
Am I praying for God to give me courage to speak up for him to people who don't know him? Am I teaching my children to pray? Do I have a strong desire to bring honor and glory to God in my life? I open this message at the outset with imagining your life as you are welcomed into the presence of Jesus who has saved you by his grace and you enter the media room your own personal media room. And you are confronted with images that share the story of your life. And especially the times that you have spent listening and talking to Jesus. How long would the video be? I have a long way to go myself. I don't feel that I've begun to arrive. But I do want to improve. I would like my prayers to be more passionate. I would like to have more courage. I would like to have greater zeal for the honor of God. More burden for our nation that is crumbling. And that would be my prayer for our church. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are worshiping some other God. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. It could be yourself or something else. Anything that I worship, serve, or love more than God becomes an idol. And you become worthless. God is calling people to himself in the 21st century. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is your opportunity to bow your knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin, to pay for your sin, because that's the only payment that God will accept is the perfect substitute of his son. And if you reject that, God will reject you. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And if you have concern about your eternal destiny, would you speak to myself at the end of this service? Would you speak to someone about your eternal destiny? That's the reason we're here. It's for the honor of God. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.